This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. we got a pretty cool program. Uh, later on, we'll be chatting about contact tracing apps and their adoption. Do they work? How many people have to actually sign up for these things to make a difference? We've uh, got an expert. Her name is Dr. Emily Sito from the University of Toronto. She will give us the lowdown on that. Also, You've probably been watching a lot more TV lately, but not cable TV. You're probably subscribing to things like Netflix, Apple TV, Disney Plus, what have you. Well, uh, there are a lot of streaming boxes out there. We're going to get a review from our good friend Ted Krotsonos on the NVIDIA Shield Pro. This is the the creme de la creme of Android smart TV boxes. And uh, we'll uh, ask him, is it worth it? Let's talk about some of the app news, uh, John. This was uh, interesting. Do you have uh, the little Google Nest hubs in your house? I do. Uh, no, I just have the, the little mini home one. Yeah. So Google, you know, they make the, uh, the Google home and the little mini, like it looks like a little hockey puck. Uh, they also have uh, a couple models that have, uh, screens on them as well. They've got the Google Nest Hub and the Nest Hub Max. I've actually got one in my kitchen and it is awesome. We use it all the time, uh, for setting timers and even watching, uh, recipe videos, uh, on there. Well, now Netflix is available on them. I, yeah, I guess you, I mean, what would, would you put something on if you're going to be stuck in the kitchen for a while? My wife uses it all the time to listen to music, uh, and uh, my daughter uses it uh, for cooking and, and recipe apps. So it, it'll be interesting to see if they do use it for Netflix. They're, they're both Netflix nuts. They, they watch shows on there all the time. So maybe if my wife is uh, you know doing a dinner or cooking some dinner, she might want to catch up on her shows. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah, I, it, it's just one of those, like, that's a problem I didn't really have before. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I'd probably rather watch my shows from the couch on my giant TV as opposed to a little, you know, five or 10, 10 inch screen. Very interesting. Uh, This was kind of an interesting story that uh, I saw up on TechCrunch. Uh, A lot of people have Macs uh, out there and I always get questions, you know, my Mac is getting slow. Should I uh, buy a new one? Are there any upgrade options? Well, one of the upgrade options is getting an external GPU or graphical processing unit. And uh, there are a few companies out there that, uh, that make these, but these are like an external unit that you would plug into your Mac uh, an existing Mac and give you that extra graphic power in, in many cases, really speeding it all up. Yeah. I think this is a really compelling option. My MacBook pro, my personal one is, is just over four years old now and it, it's still pretty solid, but you know, for a few hundred dollars, if I can give it a, maybe a couple more, more years of life out of it, that might be a worthwhile investment instead of spending, spending another four grand on another one. Yeah, so there's a number of companies. Razer, uh, they've uh, been very popular on uh, the gaming site. They make their Razer Core X Chroma. I think it's like $399, and you're able to stick uh, additional video cards uh, in there to speed things up. And this is a, a box that you plug into your uh, your Mac. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, this might be an option for some of the slower Macs uh, out there. I, I think it might be really good, too, for people that are doing any kind of creative work. It sounds yeah. like Adobe's really bought into this whole... Um, ecosystem and they've actually added uh, what they're calling eGPU support to Lightroom, Photoshop, and even the Premiere products. So uh, we might even want to get some of these for our office uh, machines as well. Let's uh, chat Huawei again. Uh, As we know, Britain has uh, banned the use of 
Huawei's 5G network technology. I think they uh, also have asked the uh, carriers over there to rip out the existing Huawei 5G uh, tech that's already installed within the next seven years. That uh, really opens up uh, a lot of business, I think, for some of their competitors. Uh, that would be like Nokia and Ericsson. But now uh, some analysts are saying they may face retaliation from China if the European Union bans Huawei any further. Well, it's a really interesting space we're in right now, right? Because you know, because of the U.S. position on Huawei and specifically calling out Huawei, um, it's made all these other competitors that much more con- uh, compelling for a lot of co- countries that have to make these decisions on what four G five G technology they're going to be using, and it's just going to get messy if China starts putting extra tariffs or causing other problems on those companies and pro- their products that would be manufactured in China. Yeah. So Yeah. Guess where all their stuff is made, right? <laughs> right. Well, and this is the thing, and this is the kind of, it points to the ridiculousness of the Trump administration's position on Huawei. Um, it's just silly. So think about this, uh, Ericsson and Nokia, they also make competing 5G network technology. They get the vast majority of that, from what I understand, made in China. So what, the Chinese are saying now, uh, or reports are saying that the China's Ministry of Commerce is looking into export controls that would prevent the two European telecom gear makers from sending products they make in China to other countries. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing because this is all so comical. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's just ridiculous for anybody with a brain to, to see happening in real time. Anyway, we'll follow this story to... Catch you up on any updates uh, as uh, they develop. Uh, BC, digital ID app for driver's license and more now available for iPhones and Android. This is kind of cool. Yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, the, the ability now for us uh, in BC, at least, uh, and Ontario and Quebec, who've had it for a little while, to actually digitally scan your driver's license and even your passport into a digital document that is secure and safe. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out where I can actually use that. And it's not really clear from the app itself where I would actually be able to use this. They do mention that um, this doesn't replace the physical need for those um, documents. Um, so I'm not sure if this is to help you replace them. Should you lose them, say, while you're traveling and you don't have access to you know, uh, another copy or, or something like that. But um, I'm still not quite sure where you would actually be able to use this uh, in lieu of actually having your physical driver's license or your, your passport. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to get to a point, and I, I hope so in the future, that we would be able to have our identification on our smartphones so that we didn't have to carry around all this other stuff like driver's licenses and passports. Well, we, we already have the ability to put our credit cards on our watches, right? So yeah, it's it, it kind of makes sense that as long as it can be securely um, encrypted and, and stored safely, that we'd have the ability to, to show that. I mean, I can't think of the last time I actually had to show my driver's license, though, but um, certainly my passport uh, when traveling, which we're not doing right now. No. So it's all for moot, right? <laughs> all for naught. Okay. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about some of these contact uh, tracing apps that are coming out uh, in countries around the world. What's the privacy like? Will they catch on? And how many of us, what percentage of the population have to download these to actually make a difference? We'll also be talking about the latest uh, NVIDIA Shield Pro. They've got a couple models uh, out uh, for smart TV streaming, which I think a lot of us are doing. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. 
You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're going to talk contact tracing. The Canadian government is uh, coming out with an app to help track COVID cases and warn uh, people of uh, potential exposure. But uh, we want to talk today about some of the uh, barriers to contact tracing app adoption. We've got Emily Sito on the line. She is, uh, sorry, Dr. Emily Sito. She's the Assistant Professor of Health Informatics at the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So, we have this app coming out. I think it's almost here. And essentially how it's working is uh, you would download it. And if you ever get exposed uh, or sorry, if you do come down with COVID, you would basically tell the app this and anyone that you have come in contact with uh, near you and your smartphone would uh, get an alert, which sounds great on paper. And I know several countries or, or more have uh, adopted this uh, worldwide. What are some of the barriers that we're going to face to having people get on board with this? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's going to be uh, several barriers to adoption. And the first one really is to get a critical mass of people actually downloading it and wanting to use it. So as you know, it's voluntary, so you could choose to use it or not, and you do need a certain number of people for it to be effective. So um, I think it's important that first of all, the uh, public health agencies and the government, you know, they send a strong message and the right message that, um, you know, what are the uh, real benefits of doing this? And then also all the privacy measures uh, that have been put in place, which are a number of them. So I think that's one, one thing. And then once you have it downloaded, you have to get people to actually use it, right? And so um, it has to be kind of dead easy to use, um, has to be a good user experience. And what we found with other countries, and hopefully I think these have, have been kind of mitigated, is that there were problems with like the battery draining or not working on certain phones. But I think those problems hopefully have been solved before we roll that out. And then finally, you got to get people to keep using it. So there has to be this kind of value add, right, that uh, incentivize people to um, continue to keep it on and to keep using it. And so you got to be careful that there's not too many false positives and false negatives, which I think would uh, get people deterred from continuing to use it. I know that uh, a few countries have have rolled uh, this type of system out. I know Germany has had some success and uh, many people downloading it. Have we got any information on how well it works and just the overall um, use and are people happy using it? Yeah, I think uh, so far what we found is that in terms of, again, systems that are using the kind of the voluntary approach, they haven't hit the, the numbers that people really want, right? And so people are citing 60 to 70% adoption, and uh, we haven't really hit that yet. So there's our, our places, and we've heard, um, you know, places like Ireland who have like um, quite a large uh, quick adoption of, of the app, but they certainly haven't reached that level yet. And it's hard to know because we actually don't really know what level we actually need for it to be effective. But certainly the more people who use it, uh, the more effective it would be. Um, And it's really actually quite difficult to figure out uh, you know, how much the app is actually contributing. So we have anecdotal uh, evidence in some reports that people are being identified through the uh, COVID um, contact tracing apps. But at the same time, uh, you know, things are changing so quickly that it's really hard to know if you're going to attribute, uh, you know, any kind of success to um, the app itself. I, I I like the whole idea in theory. I, I'm not concerned about the privacy implications because it seems like they've met uh, a lot of the issues that I, I would have. But you're talking numbers like 60 to 70 percent or more. That is a <laughs> that is a large hill to climb, don't you think? 
I do, I do. And I think this is why most countries or all countries so far using the voluntary system haven't reached those numbers of yet. And again, the messaging, uh, it's, it's a bit of cultural too, right? So uh, it's the messaging around the public health, the benefits um, and the real uh, kind of like want of the population to actually do public like to support public health and so there is that is a, a big number but again maybe you know 50 percent would still see some benefits um but again there's lots of barriers to that for example a lot of people may not have smartphones uh, especially looking at elderly people and some of the special vulnerable people who may benefit most from it maybe the ones who can't use it right so that's that's disconcerting as well you brought up a a, a great issue there uh, elderly people not all of them have smartphones. I know my parents have smartphones, but they just use them as phones. You know what I mean? Like they're not really connected to, to anything. Uh, I know some uh, countries, I think Singapore is one of them, uh, have come out with a, a little kind of gadget uh, that elderly folks can wear that kind of does the same thing. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Singapore. So it's basically like a token that you carry around in your in your bag or your pocket, and it works the same way. It emits the Bluetooth signal and then exchanges. The the difference is that uh, once you're pos- you you are um, positive for COVID nineteen, then you have to send this token to uh, the government, right? And then they could download it. So it doesn't work exactly the same way, but uh, um, it certainly is going to be interesting and maybe some lessons learned about if we could adopt something similar here. Yeah. And another uh, issue, you know, talked about uh, marginalized uh, populations. Uh, We're here in Vancouver. Our office is, uh, you know, about five minutes away from the downtown east side. Uh, I don't know if a lot of those folks have fancy smartphones and are going to be using a contact tracing app as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's maybe one of the worries is that you can imagine people like the homeless, right? They're not going to have access to smartphones and certainly a data plan. Um, and then also, especially in Canada, um, certain pockets has really high uh, percentage of, of new immigrants or people who just don't speak English or read English, which is really what's necessary for these apps. Um, so I'm not sure what their plans are in terms of translating it, but there's certainly a lot of different languages that Canadians speak. And so that population, again, um, maybe a disadvantage into trying to um, even hear about the app and then to download it and then again to use it. Um, we also know that people kind of in lower income um, brackets also have less uh, adoption to smartphone use. And so again, that's another population that um, again are disadvantaged in terms of these types of apps. It, it you know, I, I hate to say this, it seems like the odds are stacked against this being like overly successful. Well, I mean, I think it, um, it it depends. I mean, I think that, again, uh, you may not hit the 70%, but even at 50, for example. And also, it, it'd be interesting to see if, um, you know, certain demographics may be going to restaurants more than others, for yeah. example. And if a lot of people are using it there and they're in close contact, it may be very useful. Again, maybe for people who are flying, right? It's a specific kind of demographics, potentially. But again, there could be uh, use cases around on that. Um, and, and, and potentially you could have even employers, so like big employers kind of really kind of incentivize people, their employees to use it. And there may be even uh, circumstances where the employees have smartphones that belong to the company, for example, and they may feel, um, you know, much at, more at ease in terms of using it while they're at work, for example. So I think there's opportunities certainly to, um, to use it, even if the general population doesn't hit the, you know, whatever the magic number 70% is. I also wonder too if if the way that the federal government sort of sells it, if you will, uh, will also help that that you know 
reassuring them on the privacy side, reassuring them on the benefits of it all. Um, I mean, it's it's actually not unlike the mask issue we have right now too, right? You know, not everyone's wearing a mask when they should be and uh, and also social, social distancing. And, and this is just one more tool in that toolbox to help uh, everyone sort of stay connected uh, and, and protected. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's that level of trust, right? So as Canadians, um, you know, and I guess people are, are, are different uh, per individual, but if there's a trust in whoever's asking you to do this, so the public health agency, for example, the government is really endorsing this. And I think you're absolutely right. If you really kind of outline the benefits and how this may help you and help the public and your family and friends, I think there may be a higher adoption. And certainly, you know, it's, it's actually quite a little bit of a complicated way it works and with through Bluetooth and the way that the keys are downloaded and, and where the, the data is being stored. It's, it's stored mainly on the, on the phone, but if you get identified, just get uploaded, right? If you choose to upload the, 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 the kind of anonymous strings of numbers. And so that really all kind of needs to be messaged out as well properly so that people really feel confident that people are not being able to find out where you are and to kind of identify you through um, these, these strings of numbers. We've been talking with Dr. Emily Sito. She's the Assistant Professor of Health Informatics at the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Thank you, Dr. Emily. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. When we come back from the break, more apps to talk about here on the App Show. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and John here. Well, TV is changing, as uh, I think we all know. More and more of us are getting into the subscription game. A lot of us probably have things like Netflix, maybe Disney+. And as more subscribers uh, get involved there, TV cable starts going down. So it's important to have some type of smart TV or smart TV box. We've got our good friend Ted Kritsonos on the line from Toronto. He's reviewed a couple of uh, new devices from NVIDIA that uh, will hopefully take your streaming to another level. Thanks for joining us, Ted. Always a pleasure, guys. Uh, what are the two devices that you've had a look at? Well, they're both the NVIDIA Shield. So there's the NVIDIA Shield TV and then the NVIDIA Shield Pro. Okay, so these are both models came out in 2019. So they're not brand new, so to speak. Uh, they have been out for a little while. But there was a run on these devices, particularly because of the pandemic. Uh, the Pro model in particular was very hard to find at one point, whereas the TV model was easier to find. And the idea here is that basically you have, uh, these are, in my opinion, this is the best Android box available. And it really probably is the only one that you should be considering buying, uh, primarily because it's really good, it's updated regularly, and it has a lot of different features and functions. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people uh, that are into the whole smart TV thing might have like a, a Roku streaming box or stick or maybe an Apple TV. What makes the NVIDIA Shields the, the top of the heap? Well, because it's an Android box. So the Roku is a great product, of course. And I mean, we've tested them over the years. But Roku is a different platform. And in some cases, you'll have Roku built into TVs. There are, there now, because the NVIDIA Shield is running on Android TV, which is also built into certain TVs, especially ones from Sony, uh, what you have here is a box that is going to run Android TV. So it's, it's a familiar operating system. But of course, it looks different because it's made for TVs. It offers all the, the apps that are popular from Netflix to... Amazon Prime Video, Crave, and on and on. Uh, so you have access to those. There's a gaming component as well where you can play games by streaming them uh, also. So there, there's a number of different things you can do with, with the device. And of course, you know, for people who want to tinker maybe with, a, with an Android box, now again, we're not advocating you know, <laughs> voiding any warranties or anything like that here, but 
if you're the type of technical person that wants to tinker with the box, there is some leeway to do that too. Uh, but generally for me, it's a, it's a, it's a factor of ease of use. It's a factor of also what you have access to and also that it's updated regularly. I think that's the key thing. A lot of the no name Android boxes that are out there are not updated regularly. They're not using a version of Android that's really made for the TV. And also, and this is a big part of it, companies like Netflix have to certify any hardware that has access to their HD and 4K streams. So those no-name boxes, of course, never get that, whereas the NVIDIA Shield has all the certifications it needs to get the best quality from those platforms. So you might be saving money on getting these cheap, smart TV boxes, these, these Android ones, but they're kind of more trouble than they're worth sometimes, really, because they're not going to run everything. I mean, you can tinker with them to make that happen, but it's a pain in the butt. Well, yeah, think about it, right? Like, so you're, you're buying an Android box for cheaper, okay? Because you know, the price is attractive, that's fine. But then when you're running Netflix on it, you're not getting HD or 4K. So at that point, what? You have to run Netflix on a different device to get it on your TV or Chromecast it or something? It, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of getting the box. I mean, the NVIDIA Shield has a Chromecast built in too. So even if you wanted to cast content through an app that's not necessarily supported on the Shield, you but does support Chromecast, you can cast it over to the box. So at least you get that on the TV too. So there's a lot of versatility there that I think really works and, and makes it what it is. My question too, though, is the price though. You're paying a hefty price for the, the Pro version. You're paying more, no question. Yeah, you're paying more. There's about a $50 difference uh, between the two, depending. Uh, and there's not a huge difference between them, to be very honest. The Pro has more, a little more RAM, so it's three gigs of RAM compared to two. Uh, you get double the internal storage at 16 gigs compared to eight. Now, neither of that, neither of those sizes are big anyway, but the Pro also gives you two USB ports. So if you want to plug in an external hard drive, you can do that in case you want to play you know, local files that you have stored on there. Uh, or you can just actually access them. Like if you have a network drive, you, maybe you have something that is storing all your media files you know, and it's on your network, you can just stream them over to the Shield using the right app as well. Uh, the TV, uh, the Shield TV is the one I would recommend for people who don't really want anything overly technical. They want something simple, small footprint as well, because the design is totally different from the Pro model. Uh, you don't care about the USB ports, and you just want something that's going to plug into the TV and work, and that's it. How much does that model go for? Oh. Oh, sorry, what was that, guys? How much, was, how much did the, the base model go for? So the base model right now, uh, now the, the, the prices keep changing too, so I'm just going to get give me a second here just to make sure that I've got the price right because in Canada, uh, yeah, so right now you're looking at it about, the pro model's about 260, but you can probably find it for less depending on where you're shopping. Whereas with the TV version, I mean, I've seen that for about 200 in a lot of cases. So it, you may, and you again, you may find it for less if there's a sale. Uh, it, it just, it, it kind of depends, but those are the ballpark prices right now. I, I think the pro is compelling to me because of the USB ports and the fact that you can yeah. plug in a thumb drive or anything like that. That's my frustration with the Apple TV is that I want to use that. I have the 4k version. It's great, but unless I hack it, I can't really do that easily or I, I share files over a network and stuff like that. It just becomes clunky when you just want to show something quickly and being able to plug in either an external hard drive or um, a thumb drive is, is huge for me. Yeah, it's part of the reason, too, why the Pro is often recommended for people who want to game on the platform, too, because the USB ports can come in handy there as well. 
So for example, if you have a, maybe you have a certain type of remote control uh, or sorry, controller that you want to use to play and the USB port maybe has some sort of a, plays some sort of a role with that, you can do that. Maybe you want to plug in a certain type of, I don't know, anything that uses a Bluetooth transmitter, you can plug in the transmitter and then connect that way. So yeah, I agree. The, the USB ports, at least for you know tech guys like us, definitely offers some versatility beyond what the device you know would be marketed as doing. Uh, and that's why I mentioned earlier that it, it the Pro is definitely the kind of device I can see people wanting to tinker with. Whereas the TV, I think, is definitely made for people who just want to plug and play and not worry about any kind of anything else. They, it's just going to update on its own. They don't have to worry about that either. And they don't have to be concerned about whether or not they're going to get the best possible quality that is offered by the various platforms that are on there. Because it's running Android, uh, is there any benefits to having an Android ecosystem in your household, like multiple Android phones and that kind of stuff? Is it, is it any easier or does it matter at all? Uh, I don't know that there's a, I mean, there might be some advantages. I, I don't know that they're there because again, the shield kind of works independently in a lot of ways. So Google assistant, for example, will work on its own through the shield. You don't necessarily need an Android phone in order to do that. You do need a Google account, uh, in order to get on to any of these things. I mean, the shield does need a Google account to actually operate. But as far as it working with Android phones or iOS, you'll get a bit more of an advantage with Android phones because you may have more apps that support Chromecast on an Android as opposed to on an iOS device. But at the same time, as long as Chromecast is supported on your iPhone or iPad, you can just cast over to to the Shield without a problem. You won't get Apple TV, unfortunately. So the Apple TV app or Apple TV Plus, for example, if you are a subscriber to that, you will not get that on the Shield. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, that is something that you're going to miss uh, if you go with the Shield. No Star Wars for you. <laughs> hey, Disney Plus. Disney oh, that's Plus right. Sorry, I'm I'm getting confused. No, no Tom Hanks Greyhound for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we've been talking with Ted Kritsonos, uh, our contributor out of uh, Toronto, Ontario, all about the new Nvidia Shield. Android Smart TV boxes will have a review up, and uh, it'll be glorious, right, Ted? The review or the yeah, box? Yeah, the, the, the review. Well, the review is going to be, I mean, you know, I'll, I'm going to do the best I can, but I think it's going to be great, and I hope people, <laughs> you know, uh, are, are, are at least thinking about what they spend their money on when it comes to an Android box, because the cheapest doesn't mean the best. And you can check that out at getconnectedmedia.com. When we come back from the break, uh, John and I are going to talk about Internet plans. Uh, he's recently uh, looking at uh, renewing his. What's the best out there? Back after this. You are back with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. I want to talk about uh, internet packages. I think uh, a lot of us uh, have realized how important the internet has been for us uh, during the pandemic and uh, associated lockdowns in different uh, provinces and uh, states. Uh, you might have noticed uh, a lot of people are using the internet, and that's probably slowed uh, yours down. And uh, a lot of uh, folks are coming into renewals for some of their packages. Just wanted to kind of talk briefly today, John, about some of the experiences you're having. And, you know, out west here we have Telus and Shaw, but it kind of applies to no matter where you live. There's always going to be two or three competitors that uh, are the big guys that are coming after you for your money <laughs> and offering you the deals. But I, I thought... Yours was interesting. Uh, right now, you're on Shaw, and you've got a pretty good package, but it's coming up for renewal in November. 
That's right. So I I pay just over a hundred dollars a month all in for a lot of TV, and uh, I get six hundred megabit uh, internet as well, which is really it's fast. It's fast. It's it's that's download. And that, this is the key point. I think we we've talked about this a few times about, especially during the pandemic, when your entire family is trying to get on the internet. Download is important, but upload is probably more important, especially if you're uh, looking to transfer files online. You have a lot of uh, Zoom meetings or online learning where you need to be sending video back and forth all the time. Uh, the bigger the the upload pipe is the most important part. And that's kind of the bottleneck problem that I have with my Shaw is that it's a very small pipe on the upload side. Um, but like you said, uh, I'm up for renewal in November and they sent me a notice today saying, Hey, you're due for renewal soon. Soon being loose, <laughs> loosely there. Um, here's, here's an exclusive offer for you. And I click through the link and it's my exclusive offer is basically double what I'm paying now. Well, that's a great less. offer. Yeah. I know. I'm just like, did did they did they put the wrong link in the email or something? So I was poking around their website, and no, it just looks like everybody across the board has, you know, much higher packages as at the starting point now um, for those people that are just switching providers, for example. And at least right now, there doesn't seem to be any super amazing deals either. Um, Telus and Shaw in on Western Canada, for example, they've been going back and forth about this whole gigabit fiber stuff and they're suing each other over the naming and but the the important bits is at the speeds you're getting to get that kind of speed you're paying hundreds of dollars a month just for the internet so um that's the thing that i'm concerned about is that i'm going to be forced to renew for uh, a slower service at double what I'm paying. And I got a pretty sweet deal a couple years ago on a Black Friday deal. So I'm, I'm, I'm less inclined to click that renew button right now uh, and maybe wait and see when there's some better offers uh, down the line. Um, and then it's a big scramble. But generally around Black Friday is when the big deals happen in, in sort of the, the Christmas uh, space. But this year, everything's sort of up in the air because of the pandemic and everyone's increased need. I can't wait until November to make some of these decisions about increasing my bandwidth uh, as well. So especially when, you know, uh, whatever back to school is for some people, I think that might be also a big decision point is do we need to change our plan to make it uh, less uh, less of a big fight with the family. Like, can you turn off your game so I can get on my call kind of thing? Yeah. And so let's just go through the price again, John. You are at how much right now? A hundred bucks? $102 all in. Fast internet, lots of TV. And the new price is? Uh, it starts at about 175 plus tax for, for 300 Sassy. internet. Yeah. For lesser internet. For less internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's on Shaw. Yeah. And then I was trying to find something comparable on on the Telus side of things as well and it looks like it's about 75 to 80 dollars more a month. Uh faster internet, uh definitely a bigger upload pipe, uh, and but it also just sort of depends on how you bundle your other things too. So, I think I think the bundling is also key too because I I also have a Telus uh cell phone plan and if i was to sign up for one of these things that plan would actually be reduced by 10 bucks a month so that might become a better deal going that route um so it just really depends on how you've got your account set up family plans and all that type of stuff can really come into play when you start adding up how much you're paying a month the other side on telus as well they typically include things like crave 
potentially HBO and Netflix, depending on the package that you get too, which again, if you're already paying for those services, that might be some actual savings, despite you're actually paying more for the service overall. Yeah. And I think this is an important thing for the listeners. I would always, you know, every six months or so, go through your bill, your Shaw bill, your TELUS bill, Bell Rogers, whoever you're with, and just phone and say, hey, are there any better deals happening? Because you would be surprised at how often there really are. Um, and I know my bill right now, I think it's about $105, $110. I've got the home phone on it as well, plus TV and, and internet. Um, but, I, you know, when it comes up for renewal, I don't want to pay more. <laughs> I'm not using TV anymore. And, and that's what happened to me last time. I called to actually, I was going to cancel TV because I wasn't even using it. But then they made me a deal that was like $50 less a month with more TV. I'm like, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think the, the other important thing too is don't just accept the first offer they give you. No. Um, the, this tell us email or the, sorry, the shot email that I got, I wonder how many people just click, yeah, sure, sign me up, you yeah. know, like, because it's easy and it's path of least resistance versus having to call in and wait on hold and to talk to somebody, potentially even retentions, uh, which is how you're going to get the best deal uh, at any provider, um, but just to find out what they're actually offering. And then, you know, you can also threaten to just go to their biggest competitor, yeah. which is what I'll do with Shaw and I'll see what they're going to offer me. And, uh, but then also, you know, think about bundling and how that might affect your your monthly cost for all this stuff too lesson here always challenge them on the price always be checking every six months uh, for sure and you got to keep in mind like they keep talking about how you know they're uh charging less for tv and cell phone plans they still need to make money they're corporations like it's not like suddenly they're going to lose a billion dollars because they had to drop the price in one area they're going to make that up somewhere else and looks like that they're tacking that onto the internet side now We are going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our contest, and it is awesome. Listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with the App Show. Don't forget to hit our contest at getconnectedmedia.com. We are giving away an Alcatel Go Flip 3. This is a flip phone that's kind of like a a half smartphone uh, as well. Of course, you can make uh, your calls but it also has a few basic apps built into it as well, including Google Assistant. You can actually talk to it and get it to play your favorite songs and find your favorite YouTube videos and and even use things like WhatsApp. And again, go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Visit our newsletter tab there. If you subscribe to our newsletter, you're automatically entered to win this contest and many, many more. We have some fabulous uh, contests coming up this uh, year uh, as well. So literally giving away thousands of dollars in prizes so again getconnectedmedia.com enter the newsletter tab subscribe and uh, you'll be entered to win the alcatel go flip 3 worth about 100 bucks that's all the time we have left i want to thank john uh, beeler my co-host and the rest of the get connected and app show team we'll see you again next time you've been listening to a 980 cknw podcast listen live at cknw.com the radio player canada app Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.